Well, good evening and welcome to an off-season episode of Take the Two. Now, obviously, just because it's off-season doesn't mean that there's not rugby league news flying through thick and fast, especially as we've been seeing, guys, a lot of players already feeling out the options at other clubs, given that there's this whole, you know, 12-month prior to your contract ending window that, you know, players are allowed to explore and navigate and find the deals that are best for them. And we're certainly seeing plenty of that. But We'll get on to some player movements shortly. And obviously the big talking point of the last few days has been the release of the 2022 NRL draw. And I guess firstly, for, I mean, for both of you, what, what are some of the takes from the draw, both for your own side and, and across the board? Um, for me, it's a very different feeling, um, obviously, given the fact Penrith won the Premiership this year. It was a very different feeling having the draw come out this year. Um, you know, because I think, especially um, this year, the beginning of this year for us, it was very, I was very laser focused on it, very much thinking, who are we playing when? Like, you know, it was so important to know how many times we were playing Melbourne, you know, how many times we were playing South, teams that we struggled to beat and, and that kind of thing. Um, and it's funny now, I guess it's kind of flipped and, and we're not um, too worried, I guess, about who we're playing. And it's more so other teams are um, counting how many times they have to play us. Um, but I think for me that something sticks out is Magic Round. It looks like they've put put a little bit more um, thought into the actual games that are being played on Magic Round. We've got Penrith and Melbourne being played um, there, which will be a brilliant game to see. And I think it might be Roosters-Eagles as well, which should be a um, a really good clash. So I think it's really smart of them, I guess, to put some thought towards the actual clashes that are going ahead there. Um, and then, yeah, to have some blockbusters coming up in the first five weeks as well, that's, you know, very exciting Um for me to see as well um you know we start with Penrith and Manly and there's a grand final rematch a few I think round three it is which will be awesome as well um of course there's a usual discussion behind winners and losers of the draw um it's a little bit hard to say I think every year because we don't know who is going to be the good teams next year and necessarily the bad teams so it's hard to say you know if you play the Bulldogs twice for example is that a good thing or a bad thing because you know whilst they weren't very good this year they might be you know, um, excellent next year. You never know. Teams really can shoot up um, from being not so good to very good. So it's hard to really say who has the, the good end and the rough end of the stick. But I think it's safe to say the Bulldogs themselves have a tough first five rounds or so. Um, but I'm just looking forward to having it kick back in. Yeah, so and I agree to your point there, Nat, about it's difficult to ascertain who has the more difficult draw, especially when you look at clubs like Penrith and Melbourne. Often the scale that's being used to determine how tough a team's draw is is you know, how often they play those top four sides, but you can't play yourself. So that then comes into play as well. For me, I'm really looking forward to some of the, I guess, the grudge clashes, guys coming up against their old teams, and it starts on the first Friday. Uh, we were told we weren't going to get many Broncos games on Friday night, and I think they've just moved most of them to Thursday night for next year. But we're going to get Brisbane up against South Sydney, Adam Reynolds playing up against the Rabbitohs for the first time. That'll be a great match. Uh, my eyes go to round three, though. We see on the Friday night, South Sydney up against the Roosters, Luttrell. It's going to be his first game back from suspension after breaking Joey Manu's jaw last uh, last season. And we're going to see him up against his old club again to, to start off, which should be a, a great match. It always is between Rabbitohs and Roosters. For my Tigers, pretty happy with the draw, to be honest. Uh, we get Melbourne first up, which is always a tough game, but uh, it's going to be played at Combank Stadium out at Parramatta. And uh, Melbourne will be at, without Cam Munster, Brandon Smith and Harry Grant, which is always handy. And then I think we've got Penrith and Parramatta later on in the season in, in origin-affected games, and we saw the impact that that can have last season. And 
Uh, for mine, I think the Tigers, yeah, if they can get things right, all four pieces are in place for, for a good run, but it's just going to be about staying injury-free. That's another uh, really key aspect to include, include in all the considerations around the, the draw and the draw difficulty is that we just don't know who which sides are going to be injury-free throughout the season. We saw the havoc that uh, injuries played on the Roosters throughout last season. For mine, I think they're going to be the team that's flying under the radar a little bit into next season. Uh, they'd be an early premiership pick for mine. Yeah, I mean, don't we know that the media needs something to talk about? And obviously, you know, your draw is difficult or your draw is easy. But yeah, I mean, you, you the reality is you just don't know. And and as you said, Tom, just there's so many variables involved. Like in round one, your best player goes down for the season, and that changes the entire dynamic of 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 your season across the board. Even if you had an easy draw, per you know, the easy in in quotation marks. But um, yeah, I mean, I guess obviously. For me, as an Eels fan, it's it's the it's it's not too bad. I mean, the ex- experts seem to think it's in the I think only just behind the dogs in terms of the toughest. But you know, again, you can only play what's in front of you. The I guess the good thing from an Eels perspective is that the majority of the roster will be there for 2022. I think the only notable omission, or sorry, two notable notable omissions, obviously one being Blake Ferguson. The other being um, Michael Oldfield, who only played the one game and wasn't great anyway. Uh, but it, it, it's 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 more balanced than it was last year. I thought our draw in tw- oh sorry last year this year the Eels draw in 2021 was very top team heavy. Once you got to about round 18, I mean I think we played wait round 18 whenever the last Origin round was because then obviously we played played that game against the old Panthers Nat where you know the Moses missed the goal and pretty much from there it was. You know, just top four, top six team, you know, top, like there was Manly, there was South, there was obviously Penrith again, there was the Storm. And so it's a, it, it's a bit more balanced, which I guess can be good or bad, but it's probably, you know, as I said, you play what's in front of you and, and there's not much more that you can do there. And certainly there are going to be teams that are better than last year, teams that are probably going to be worse than last year. And that's just the unpredictability of, of the season when you think about it. Yeah, I think so. And I think, I mean, for us looking back on our past two seasons, 20 and 21, we've had, we had roughly the same squad for both of those um, two seasons. And we were obviously performing at a high level for both. In 2020, we had a very easy draw and we also had pretty much no injuries the whole year and we lost the grand final. And then last year, we had a much more difficult draw, um, a lot of players out for origin, which kind of put us into a bit of patch of a bad patch there. And we had a lot more injuries than the, we had the year before and we won the premiership. So I think there's something to be said about not coasting your way through a season um, because, you know, you might have the easiest draw in the world, but it will give you this inflated sense of perhaps how good you are when it comes down to the crunch time. So it's not necessarily a bad thing, I think, to have a few challenging games in there, even towards the end of the season. Because it means that you're kind of fighting for for every every win that you have, and it gives it really does help. I think going into a final series, um, whereas you might see teams like Manly, for example, who had a very easy run home, and they kind of capitulated in that last game in the finals when it, they kind of got exposed a little bit, um, went up against a really good team. So I think that it's all in the way you look at these draws. Um, but coming from our experience, I've really learned that um, a soft draw is not always the best thing for your premiership aspirations. Yeah, certainly. For me, another highlight of the draw that came out earlier in the week was the new NRLW schedule that's just come out. We're going to have a five-week season next year. Every team plays each of the other five teams once. 
Uh, we've got three new sides, the Eels, the Titans and the Knights joining the competition. There's going to be plenty of double headers, a few triple headers in there as well, which will be great for the fans. A uh, number of different grounds. I know Wynn Stadium and Wollongong's getting one earlier on in the season. Great opportunity for the NRLW uh, next year. Obviously, they're going to have two seasons. Or a disappointment early on when we found out that NRLW couldn't get played in 2021. But moving into next year, it's going to align with AFLW, the Super W, the A-League women. It's going to be all uh, all happening at once for women's sport, which is great uh, for women's sport in Australia. And it's really a great thing for the broadcasters as well to get some footy on TV before the NRL starts. I mean, I know I can speak for the three of us. We're going to be absolutely hungry for some NRL action by the time uh, late February, early March rolls around next year. NRL grand final. I think it drew over 700,000 uh, viewers on TV a couple of years ago in 2020 for the grand final. So, yeah, fingers crossed they can get similar interest in the competition next year. I'm sure they will. And, you know, looking forward, hopefully, getting some more teams, getting some more licenses uh, moving forward into 2022 and beyond. Yes, certainly plenty to look forward to when it comes to the NRLW draw and competition. And I guess just one thing for me from the NRL, or two more things from the NRL draw itself that stood out to me. The, and I mean, and probably Warriors fans were hoping and praying that there was going to come the time when a game would be taken back to Auckland. And I think round 15 is, is going to be that day the, the Warriors are going to play five games back in Auckland. And certainly after what would have been I guess effectively almost three full seasons, they'll fight. Warriors fans will finally get to see a game again uh, back in New Zealand, which is just you know fantastic for not only for the fans but the players, the administration, pretty much the entire club who you know have have their families based in in New Zealand if they aren't already based in Australia, given they've been here for a couple of years. And the second part of, I mean, as always, we're seeing games uh, taken to some more regional parts, obviously Mackay. Uh, Dubbo, Wagga Wagga, Bathurst, obviously Carrington Park, where your Panthers take a game to in that. Uh, yeah, Wagga, where the Raiders will play. Um, you know, Dubbo's Apex Oval, obviously the the usual uh, fixtures that the Eels take up to Darwin's TIO Oval. So certainly, plenty of plenty of uh, games will be seen across across the country in terms of you know regional and and other state in other states. So it's always it's good to see that I guess the NRL's continued association to to try and push push the game into into new and existing territories. Yeah, I think it's awesome, and I think maybe um, I guess us Sydney siders may have gotten a taste this year when the season was moved halfway through of what people who live in regional areas and rural areas feel every year, which is they don't get the you know the feeling we might take for granted, which is just deciding whether or not we go to the football that weekend then and there. You know, I think it was um, a good thing that I liked about the fact that it got moved to Queensland is that a lot of the games were played in regional Queensland up there, um, which was really exciting because, you know, my family, a lot of my family moved to Wagga Wagga a few years ago. And, you know, when they the Raiders take their games down there, it's just like this exciting thing for the whole town and they get to go out there. Um, when I was cheerleading, going to Bathurst was such an exciting thing as well because something that we might get to see in Sydney every week, they get to see it once a year. Um so I think it's brilliant to keep pushing that. It's also great for the players that may be from those areas to be able to go to their hometown and play there. Um, it'd be really special. So um, I'm really happy that they're continuing to push that. It's really good for the NRL. Yeah, absolutely. And Ricky, to your point about uh, the Warriors, you know, so much has been said about the sacrifices they've made and rightfully so, but equally with Melbourne Storm, they're going to be returning to Amy Park for the first time in the best part of two years. Uh, in round two against the Rabbitohs, fans get rewarded with a great clash on the first day night and uh, yeah, it should be ripping to see Melbourne back in front of their home crowd. It's only going to make them 
even tougher to beat when you consider how good they've been in Queensland over the past two years. It's kind of scary, isn't it? Yeah. It's, um, yeah, no, it's obviously, you know, it, it, it's the NRL draw is done and dusted. And certainly, as we said, there's but there's going to be plenty of ups and downs and who knows how it's going to turn out. And I guess equally for the NRLW draw that you touched on earlier, Tom, obviously, you know, that given that it's going to coincide effectively with, I think NRLW is probably going to be the third round or so by the time uh, NRL kicks off, but there will be double headers, triple headers. And I guess McDonald Jones Stadium in Newcastle get the, the earliest taste of the action with the triple header that's there. And I guess when you look at the NRLW season as a whole for this one, you know, as you said, there's the new teams. We've got the Eels, we've got the Knights, the Titans. No Warriors for this season, at least, given all the, the logistical aspects. When you look at the players that the you know teams have signed, the teams have lost, who who is an early favourite in your view? And, and of the four teams that were in the previous competitions, which one do you think is going to fall behind the pack a bit? Well, I think it's... Firstly, it's really good. I think we've kind of touched on it before that um, the season's going to be at the beginning of the year because I think maybe um, it's not an afterthought this year. It's something that everyone's going to be really hungry for the football, really keen to watch it. And I think it's going to bring even more viewers than it has in the past. Um, Yeah, in terms of the NRLW, there's been so many player movements and we were so excited about it. We were talking about it um, so much at the end of this this season. That's why it was so disappointed we didn't get to see that come to fruition. Um, I actually think uh, Parramatta might have a a little dark horse for the competition, Ruthie, um, your girls. But um, yeah, I'm just, it's going to be, it's difficult to say now because it's going to be hard to see, you know, how all the movements work out and, you know, who gels with who. But um, yeah, I'm really keen to, to watch it. Yeah, same here. I mean, I can't go past Brisbane again. They've won all the editions so far. I think that they've got such a strong roster. They're going to be tough to beat. A um, number of the Queensland State Origin girls in that squad. I agree with you now. I think the Eels will be right up there. And then I think in terms of the team that are going to be have to are going to have to be careful, they don't fade off the radar. It's the Sydney Roosters have been so good over the first couple of editions uh, of the tournament. I'm sure they'll be uh, fairly competitive again this year, but with so much talent going around the league now. Uh, it may just be a little bit tougher to, to reach those grand finals yet again. Yeah, it will be interesting. I, mean, I think the only team at the moment that we don't know too much about, only because they were going to name, I think, something like 12 players prior to the uh, Sydney's lockdown from New Zealand and other parts. And so they've only got two players named the Knights. That's obviously Caitlin Johnson and Kyra Simon, who I, well, I have to admit I haven't heard too much about. But I think for me, the team that is probably going to drop off and really it, it, it's two players, I think, that have left that are going to leave massive holes in their side. It's probably the Dragons. I mean, mm. obviously, Jess Sergis has joined the Roosters for this year and Tiana Penatani has joined the Eels for this season. And the two of them pretty much across, I mean, obviously, it was Penatani's first season uh, in the NRLW uh, in 2020. And certainly, you know, she and Sergis really found them you know they found a home in the center position playing consistently and I guess at the moment the Dragons probably don't have any I guess I mean they got good players I mean you know Chantel Stowers and the Rugby Sevens uh, player that they've signed in Emma Tonegato you know are both good players in their own right but obviously remains to be seen how they're going to play in a new system and and whatnot so I think the Dragons have to be really careful uh, in that regard and I guess if I was being, without being biased, you know, I, I'm not going to, as I, I don't want to be like, oh, oh, you know, the Eels are going to win because you never know. I do like what they've done. 
uh, with their side. But I think the Titans as well are going to be a side to look out for. I mean, you look at some of the players that they've signed uh, for the upcoming season, the, um, you know, Tasman Gray, Brittany Braley-Nati, uh, Rona Peters, who uh, Steph Hancock, all four of which have won premierships in the NLW with the Broncos already. You know, you throw in players like Karina Brown and Georgia Hale, who have both been tremendous for the respective teams that they've played for. Obviously, Karina with the Roosters and the Warriors and Georgia Hale with the with the Warriors throughout. They've built a nice side. And I think, you know, I, I even look at the Broncos. They probably don't look as tough, I guess, because they've lost a few of those key forwards. And I think if I was, if I was going to be a, a betting man, I actually think we could potentially see, or at least I would like to see, uh, an Eels-Titans grand final. I mean, that'd be exciting to have something different, I think, Ricky. Be, um, yeah, good to see, I guess, someone other than Brisbane um, up there. But I think we're just going to have to wait and see how it goes. It's so difficult to predict it right now, but I would love to see an Eels-Titans grand final. I think that'd be really good to see something a bit different. Well, that's, you know, that's that wraps up the draw talk, at least, for, for now. Obviously, you know, no doubt we're going to see you know, bits and pieces and and teams continuing to make their roster changes and and all the news. But certainly if you have a tough draw or if you think you have a tough draw, just play what's in front of you. That's all you can do. And, you know, don't, don't, uh, as a fan, don't let yourself be consumed by what the experts think. Because as we've been saying, you can only play what's in front of you. You never know how your team is going to perform on any given day. And I guess as much as the talk has been about the draw, guys, there's certainly been plenty of talk when it comes to off the field activities and certainly one that has come uh to light in the last 24 hours obviously i'm sure you've both seen the photo on social media of reed marnie meeting uh with trent barrett and phil gould obviously the bulldogs head coach and uh general manager of football respectively i i mean as an eels fan obviously i want to keep reed marnie but i think i i, I put a put a tweet on Twitter. I, I think when people look at this sort of stuff, they think, oh yeah, the players are moving to that club straight away and you know, they're gone and the deal is done. But I think what people don't realise is, you know, Reed Money is still under contract for 2022. He's stated many times that the Eels are the club that, you know, he'll stay at and even potentially take unders to stay at. And this is realistically just Sam Ayub, who is his agent, who has you know, is guilty of trying to make Parramatta seem like the, the bad guys in the past in the media, like we saw with Clint Gutherson's last deal and everything. End of the day, this is just a manager doing what managers do, essentially. And I think if you read too much into it, it sort of it consumes you to a point where, you know, you become obsessed of that a certain thing is going to happen. Um, I don't know if I'm that as positive. <laughs> about that in terms of Reed staying at, at Parramatta. Um, you know, as you said, it could just be a dinner. You know, who knows? It's a, the photo that has absolutely no context behind it. Um, but, you know, I do also think, on the other hand, Phil Gould, if he's after someone, he often gets him. And I think that in terms of recruitment, both Trent Barrett on his own and Phil Gould have done an excellent job over the Bulldogs at building this roster. So whatever they're selling, people are picking up. Um, so... You know, I think the Bulldogs seem to have, I guess, dropped out of the race for Brandon Smith and they need, now seem to be focusing on Reid Marnie. And to be quite honest, I think I'd rather focus on Reid Marnie. Um, I think he's the Parramatta's best player 
and um, we just see the difference it makes when he's not at Parramatta. And I think that's such a sign of an incredible, really, really good, solid player. You know, he may not be the most flashy of players, but when you notice a team just fall into a disorganised rut without one person, it shows how important they are. So, you know, I think the Bulldogs have this missing piece of the puzzle right now in that good hooker. And I think it's also underestimated um, what a good hooker can do for your side. Um, at Penrith, we were lost for a few years. You know, we had all all the ingredients except for a really solid hooker. And then Arky came around and, you know, as much as I do not like Arky as a person, he is a very good rugby league hooker. Um, and he made all the difference in terms of the organisation for our attack. So, I think if the Bulldogs were to be able to snare Reid Marnie together with all the other players that they've got on board for next year, even though obviously Reid will be going the year after, but they'd still have players like Matt Burton and they've got um, Josh Adokar and they've got Tabita Pangai Jr. If they can find some form at this club, they're really setting themselves up for a bit of a um, a bit of a run. So I'm very interested to see how this all plays out. Um, I think Parramatta would be absolutely mad to lose Reid. Um, I think they should be, um, you know, getting him the best off they possibly can. Um, and we'll just see how it how it goes. But I'd take Reid in a heartbeat. I think he's a brilliant player. Yeah, I agree. I think that the Eels might have a little bit of a fight on their hands. I understand your point, Ricky, and I know that we often get the, the media beat up over uh, players meeting up with different agents and different uh, organisations around the, the industry. But for me, I think that Reid Varney to the Bulldogs makes so much sense. And I think the Bulldogs have the money to spend. I'm just not sure Parramatta do. I think a key piece in the puzzle is going to be what happens with Murata Niakore. Uh, it's looking like he might end up at the Warriors. If he goes over to New Zealand, then I think we might see the Eels have enough money to match the Bulldogs offer. And I think he would then uh, have to think really hard about moving across town. But for mine, the reports are saying at the moment that the Bulldogs offer is 200 200 to $250,000 more than what Parramatta are willing to offer per year. Uh, if that is the case, it's going to be a pretty hard one for Reid to turn down. Yeah, it will be, but I'll, uh, well, it's not really, not really a scoop, I guess, but there is some talk that uh, Eels management are resigned to the fact that Neocore will indeed go. The Let's just say that uh, they're offering about $250,000 more to Neocore season than the Eels want to offer. I mean, you know, that $625,000 dollar a season figure for Neocore is you know that that's starting to push elite sort of territory for 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 back rowers so it looks likely that he'll go and uh at the moment the eels best offer to Marnie sits at six hundred thousand a year for four years so that's pretty much what the dogs are offering as well or supposedly offering so I, I you know that's that's not, I'm not not saying he's gonna stay by any means but Certainly, I think it, it's, you know, the Eels, the Eels know how important Reed Money is. So I, I, I can't imagine that they're just, you know, going to let him slip away to the Bulldogs of all teams who are, you know, probably apart from Manly and Penrith are the biggest rivals that the side has had since, since, their, since their inception in 1947, 1947, whenever it was. Yeah, I think 1947. So they'll, they'll do what they can to keep him. And, and, and I think. You know, we'll 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 see some of those things sort of, I guess, eventuate as as the weeks go by. Because even Reed has said he wants his he wants it all sorted within the next two weeks. So that's essentially end of November, where it's it's already almost halfway through. So I think I think things will get sorted, and and the eels are just sort of you know, just just going with the flow. Certainly not not showing all of their cards straight away, and just you know letting other clubs sort of 
bought, letting the agents sort of test the waters and, you know, see what sort of monetary offers are on the table before they, you know, assess where things are at. But I would be surprised if Reed Money left, to be perfectly honest. I hope so for your sake. You know, also, if you did sign on for Bulldogs in 2023, you'd have the circus that we found with Matt Burton this year, which is the do you let him go early? Do you, you know, do you not, blah, blah, blah. And I certainly hope they learn from us that you absolutely nah, do never. not go early. <laughs> never. Stand <laughs> never, your ground. Never, ever. Yeah. I think we've, um, yeah, set the precedent there. So, yeah, hopefully, Ricky, for your sake and the Parramatta Eels, they, he does stick around. I'll provide the counter-argument to that in the, the form of Mitchell Moses, and I think it was 2017 for the Tigers after he signed oh, yeah. Parramatta. It was atrocious. I don't, don't want to throw, the, throw around the word tanking, but it was uh, suspiciously poor from... Potentially Mitch, so. intentional. <laughs> yeah, yes. So uh, there might be an argument to let them go, but it certainly panned out for, for Penrith in the right direction this year. Well, I guess I guess keeping with the Eels theme, obviously we saw another player who enjoyed quite a bit of fanfare. There was that that uh, exclusive story uh, in the Telegraph and the Courier Mail that you know Campbell Gillard had said, "Yep, I'm going to the Dolphins," and the, and 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 the you know the agent was trying to push her through as if it was a done deal and you know, he's off and blah, blah, you know, there's some crazy, like I think it was close to a million dollars a season or something uh, for the Dolphins. And what, 24 to 36 hours later, the Eels release a, you know, tweet, press release, you name it, that Campbell Gillard is staying. So obviously, as an Eels fan, that's tremendous news. I mean, he was easily our best prop in obviously this year and probably even top three, four props in the game at the moment, just based on the way uh, he was able to play. and. You know, you would know, obviously, you know a lot about Campbell Gillard as well, Nat, and certainly he's he's a tireless worker, just runs hard. You know, he, he, know, he knows what his job is. It's a prop. It's just to get the ball rolling, you know, get your team on the front foot and pretty much just do your job and it makes it easier for everyone else around you to do their job. I think, unfortunately for me, it's probably a similar situation that Tom feels about Moses um, in that towards the back end of RCD's contract when he wasn't very um, invested in Penrith anymore. He wasn't playing to his potential at all whatsoever. Um, and you could maybe um, see it as maybe throwing in a towel. So I think for me as a Penrith fan, he's always got, a, got that kind of air about him. And it's hard for me to see how well he's actually been playing the past few years. Um, but, you know, I, I definitely understand that he's a he's a good uh, acquisition for Parramatta and he's fit in really well there, um, which is really good. I know he was in the Origin discussions um, towards the end of last year as well. Um, so it's only a good thing for Parramatta um, as long as they kept him on the right money. Um, so, you know, it's it's definitely a plus that you've been able to keep him around and resisted the lure of the Dolphins. Yes, yeah, certainly. There's a lot of player movement going around uh, Parramatta. I think that talk about premiership windows, and I think for Brad Arthur, it's the challenge for him is going to be about extending that window. Obviously, he hasn't been able to get past that dreaded semi-final, as we say so often. And uh, for mine, they need all the help they can get just to get themselves through the next couple of seasons. If they can get themselves through to one prelim and through to a grand final, that's going to be the key while they've still got Gutherson and Moses in their prime. Uh, Because otherwise, I think we might see the Eels sort of fall into the trap that we've got with Canberra now. Uh, They had their opportunity, and unfortunately, they weren't weren't good enough to cash in. No, never. That will never happen to the Eels, Tom. What are you (laughs) talking about? But uh, no, look, in all seriousness, you know, obviously, you know, windows only last so long and the, the... there are, have been a lot of play or are a lot of players off contract at the end of 2023 and sort of, sorry, at end of 2022. And obviously that's what's kickstarted all of this, you know, fanfare and discussion and, and, and hoorah and, 
and whatnot. But obviously retaining RCG was a good, important step. And I guess a surprise one even for me, obviously, you know, it's not confirmed, but it looks like the Curtis Scott is firming as a signing for the Eels. And I know a lot of Eels fans are not fans of this one. And, you know, I guess each to their own is understandable, but I don't mind it. I mean, from all reports, Curtis Scott, despite what has happened, and obviously he wasn't, you know, a lot of us still don't know exactly what happened. And, you know, the case, the last case was thrown out because of, you know, a lack of evidence and no one came forward and whatnot, but things like that always do linger on a player. But with that said, I think Brad Arthur has a proven track record of getting players on board who have either been in trouble with the law or probably haven't excelled at a previous team and have since joined and, you know, performed out of their skin. And you have to look at guys in the past like Manu Mau, Danny Wicks, Bryce Cartwright most recently. And I think given that he's going to be a, a cheap, no-risk option, we lost Ferguson, uh, we lost Oldfield, Mike Acevo's probably out for at least half the year and you've got to question whether he'll ever be the same player again. I I, I don't mind signing a guy on essentially a second-tier deal for given the potential that Scott does have. I personally uh, would not want Scott near my team um, for similar reasons that I'm thrilled Tyrone May is no longer at our team. Um, I understood where Parramatta were coming from with Bryce Cartwright, and I think that Cartwright um, has really excelled in the environment at Parramatta and has managed to turn his life around a little bit. Um, but if you look at, I guess, Bryce's history, it doesn't quite match the history that Curtis has in terms of the allegations that have been made about him. Um, and I personally wouldn't want him near, near my team for that reason, and I don't actually think he deserves another another go. Um, but, yeah, that's all I think I'll say in respect to Curtis. Yeah, I'm a little bit torn myself as well. I think from a pure footballing sense, it's maybe not the worst move from Parramatta. Uh, I think he's probably still got a lot to give Curtis Scott in terms of his footy, but... Yeah, his off-field discretions have been pretty poor and uh, unfortunately he's had more than a few chances to, to sort things out and we all know what a hard taskmaster uh, Ricky Stewart is down in Canberra. He has a reputation of getting the best out of his players. Ricky wasn't able to keep him in line. Uh, he was previously down at Melbourne as well. So he's had uh, Ricky Stewart and Craig Bellamy in his corner for mine. I think this uh, may not turn out to be as true to signing as, as it was the case with Bryce Cartwright. No, of course, time will tell. And I, I, I understand your viewpoint that obviously the just the I guess from 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 the, the moral standpoint and obviously, you know, what we want the players to stand for and, you know, how they conduct themselves and whatnot. And I guess uh, from a larger point of view, that's, you know, a lot of that comes down to the NRL as well. Probably, you know, not being as as decisive or as swift with certain actions in the past, obviously, you know. Tyrone May, which we'll touch on shortly later, you know, probably could have gone earlier, but didn't, you know, everything with the, with the whole Instagram post and, and then gone. So I certainly think like with Scott, should he still be in the NRL? Probably not. But I guess given the indecisiveness from the NRL to act when they should have, he's still allowed to play. He's an active player. And so I guess, you know, then to Tom's point, Purely from a footballing perspective, I don't mind the signing, but obviously, you know, from a moral standpoint, yeah, you don't. I think any Eels fan that likes Scott coming on board certainly wouldn't be in. Sorry, 
wouldn't have any sort of, uh, I guess, happiness or, or high approval of him based on his off-field incidents as a person. So I think it's more just he can play football, yet we need someone that can do that. But certainly a lot of his integrity and, and, and his, you know, his moral choices have to have to rightfully be be questioned. Yeah, and I think it's this weird kind of grey area that the NRL has in front of it now where it's, you know, if a player um, has charges dropped against them, and we've seen instances with Dylan Walker, I guess, where his charges were dropped by his wife after she made a statement and withdrew it. You know, so many witnesses have attested to what happened on that day, which was terrible, that it was dropped. The police wanted to press them and they couldn't. You know, so I guess that's kind of like a situation and similar maybe to Curtis Scott where you're kind of getting off on a technicality. And then you're still allowed to play in the game because technically, you know, you, you, you're you allowed to. And I kind of hope that there might be, you know, I, we saw it again with Tyron May, you know, he served his time in the call, he did his community service. So technically he was allowed to come back. And I think that I hope when we move forward as a game and if we're serious about things like, you know, women in league rounds and the view that we try and promote these players have towards women um, or anyone, any members of society, really, I really hope there is a little bit of a um, drift away from just, you know, not just a legal sense, whether or not they can play and, play, you know, clubs using their own common sense and saying, you know what, you might be a good player, but you are not worth what you're going to bring, bring to our team. I want to keep a team free of that sort of person, um, no matter how good or talented a player might be. So I do hope that we've got a very long way to go in that respect, but I hope that that starts to happen as time moves on. Yeah, agreed. Well said. So I guess obviously we've been mentioning Tyrone May, Nat, and that's yeah. As a Panthers fan, you know you've not not just here. I mean, even even on Twitter, you certainly uh, or you and many Penrith fans have certainly you know voiced your disdain for for Tyrone May for what he did for the way that he acted. I mean, I guess as a as a Penrith fan, would you have rather he be he have gotten sacked after the the court incident had gone through and effectively? He wouldn't have played the grand final, or or are you happy that Penrith, you know, or not not happy, but I guess are you, were you willing to to go with your club and then obviously have him play all the way through? And obviously we didn't know you, you couldn't foresee he was gonna write an Instagram post like that, which obviously led to all all of this hurrah and his eventual sacking. But I guess for, yeah, what I'm trying to say is, as a Panthers fan yourself, are you? you know, I guess, pleased with how everything transpired in the end? I'm very pleased with the way it transpired in the end, but I'm very disappointed that it didn't happen sooner. I think the club themselves literally created this situation of no accountability. You know, when all that stuff came out at the beginning of 2019 before the season started, it was so difficult to support that club for that entire year. I found myself feeling like, well, I love football and I love the team and I've, you know, supported them for such a long time. And I found myself just feeling so angry at what happened and the lack of, you know, he got stood down, obviously, when his case was happening, but he was back halfway through the year. Um, he pled guilty to something that's really bad. And I think we've got this issue where some people and players in the league from my own team don't seem to think it's a huge deal. And I would love them to think about if that was their daughter or their sister or their mother or something like that in a similar video, which got, you know, thanks to Tyrone May, was distributed to the whole whole world. Um, so I think the fact that Penrith did not sack him then and there, like they did with other Liam Coleman, they sacked him at a similar time for similar, you know, a similar issue. Um, they bred that sense of, you know, um, 
this self-righteousness in Tyrone that, you know, the world's against me, I didn't do anything wrong, the club supports me, I still get to play every week, even though he should not even be in the top 17 in terms of talent at Penrith. Um, to me, they bred that in him, which led to him after the grand final, which he played 10 minutes of, knocked on at a very crucial point and almost lost the entire game for us led to him thinking it was a good idea to, you know, put that ridiculous post up when really he should have been lying extremely low and thanking God that he had been carried to a grand final. So I'm disappointed in the club for the way it was handled initially. And I think they created a situation where our grand final celebrations were totally marred by that post and the comments on it. And that's going to stick with a lot of fans. You know, it was really disappointing. You're so excited, you know, that we won the grand final. And the next week I felt embarrassed because of the post and because of the support it garnered. So whilst I'm happy that he's gone now, and I think they had one choice and one choice only with that, you know, I think it would have been an absolute uproar if he had, if they had kept him on. I'm disappointed that that's what it came to. And I think that they played a major role in that happening. So I hope that other clubs can learn from it. Um, and I hope that Tyrone now finally feels accountable. Yeah, I think you make a great point then, that about how these incidents have tarnished the grand final victory a little bit. Uh, I think that for the last two years, Penrith have been the entertainers of the league, and I compared them back, you know, 15 years ago to the Tigers as the entertainers of the league. They're a team that no matter who you supported, you could sort of get behind them, even if, you know, as a Tiger supporter, I still love watching Jerome Wuai and Brian Toto play. You know, there's so many similar uh, instances from around the NRL community of just people who love getting on board the, the Penrith bandwagon because they're so good to watch, and Unfortunately, we're going to see a lot of kids now who potentially want to start supporting Penrith. Their parents aren't going to be too keen to have them involved with the Nathan Cleary and the Mays. And unfortunately, yeah, it really has taken some of the gloss off what was a tremendous season and something to be celebrated. Yeah, it wasn't a good look. And I guess the, just finally with that bit, I mean, I, I guess I, I already know the answer to it. I mean, I, you know, you, and again, many Penrith fans also, you know, voice their, their discontent about it. I mean, what... What were your what are your thoughts on like some of the players that came out afterwards, either in the videos that we saw celebrating or Nathan Cleary's most recent post where like oh you know I got your back bro and you know just just like almost playing out in the public eye that like that you know Tyron May is a was a good bloke and you know was is our mate and whatnot and and sort of thing I mean obviously I guess you would have preferred to have seen all of that stay behind the scenes like you know congratulate your mate but don't do it publicly. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we have to remember there is a victim out here and Tyrone may have pled guilty. So there's no question about whether or not there was a victim or not. There is a victim who, you know, as a result of Tyrone May still has issues to this day. And I think that story's come out recently where she's talked about what she goes through. And for me, it was so disappointing seeing, you know, I, I in terms of the comments in the post, you know, an emoji here or there, I, I can, I guess, forgive. Um, but some of the comments were really doubling and down on what he was saying. And then to see Nathan, who is meant to be a co-captain of, of our side, I guess, put that post up when Tyron doesn't have Instagram anymore. They live together. He can literally just pop his head around the corner and say, Tyron, I've got your back, brother. It's that simple. I think to me, it was sending almost an intentional message out, which is really, really wrong. And I guess it's frustrating for me as well, because we have so many wonderful people in our team that those are the stories we should be talking about. We should be talking about the Isaiah Eos and the Brian Toto and Jerome Lewis, these people who are doing so much for their communities and, you know, who who stay away from doing things like that. Instead, we're talking about this. Um, so it's really frustrating to me and I just, I don't, <laughs> it boggles my mind that it's, 
that Nathan put that post up afterwards, you know, um, it's crazy. It's crazy to me. And I just wish it, I wish it was different. Um, but I just hope that they're young and I hope that they grow and mature and maybe when they have their own children and if those children happen to be girls, they may reconsider their thoughts and their stance and what they've done now. Yeah, there's certainly the NRL role and its players have a lot to do in, I guess, understanding the world and sort of, you know, away, away of, sorry, away from this bubble that that is that is rugby league and you know that what you post what you post publicly is not just seen by your mates it's it's seen by every single person that follows you know follows you or you know when it gets tagged and shared and passed around and etc cetera, etc cetera. so a lot of players have a lot to learn when it comes to that and i guess in a roundabout way it brings us to what has been another point of conjecture for the nrl obviously the afl were very quick to come out and say, if you're not vaccinated, you're not going to play. And we've seen that with one of their AFLW players, who ironically is a nurse, but obviously that's AFL and not NRL. And we've seen the NRL sort of tiptoe around this subject and both Peter uh, Peter Vlanis and Andrew Abdow have been, oh, but we don't, you know, we, we want players to be vaccinated, but we don't want to mandate it because of this and because of that and et cetera, et cetera. And, and I, think, I think realistically the situation that we're in is, I mean, at least for me, I agree with the, with, with the AFL stance. You want to play, you get vaccinated. As simple as that, because at the end of the day, you're not just affecting yourself. You're affecting an entire team, an organisation. These players go back home to their families. They've got kids. Those kids go to school. It just becomes an entire ripple effect that I think that that notion is lost on some of these players that flat out refuse to get vaccinated. No, I agree, Ricky. And and for me, you know, I'm obviously I'm a lawyer and I don't see any legal ramifications at all behind mandating it. So I'm very confused as to their stance behind it. Um, it's as simple as the fact is that you will not be able to adhere to your contract obligations if you do not get vaccinated and it's a choice. So it's not discrimination because discrimination, I guess, is usually when it's something that you cannot help. So discrimination based on sex, gender, you know, you know, all that sort of thing. But when it's a choice that you are making and you do not have, you know, any medical reason behind that choice, it's not discrimination if you if they choose to let players go as a result of that. So I don't understand their stance. To me, it might be just like a people-pleasing kind of thing, but I think it might have the opposite effect um, because we've seen through, I guess, this past year, we need to do this together. We need to protect everybody as a community. Um, above anything else, those who are, you know, compromised and they cannot get the vaccine, so people with um, immunity conditions and things like that, they need us to be vaccinated so this doesn't spread to them. So I think, to me, it's such a selfish decision, and I don't think that should be almost encouraged by the NRL or made excuses for. Um, so I agree I'm definitely more supporting the AFL's stance, and I really don't understand where the NRL are coming from at all, to be honest. Yeah, I have a feeling that the NRL knew that there was a little bit more hesitancy around the player base in our competition than there was in the AFL. And I have a feeling that they knew there was going to be some pretty big ramifications for some pretty big players around the league uh, who weren't overly keen to get the vaccine. I know over the last couple of days, uh, one name that sticks to mind is Api Korosau. I saw that he was a little bit hesitant uh, in getting the jab. And I have a feeling that the NRL were a little bit worried about losing some of their big names uh, to vaccine hesitancy. It's going to be really interesting to see how things pan out moving forward, especially if some of the states uh, keep up their uh, restrictions over, over border travel. If guys can't move up to Queensland to play away games or down to Melbourne, 
club's going to have a real big issue next season and it's really going to impact their value as you mentioned that if, if you're paying a guy 600,000 you're paying him you're paying him to play all 24 games in a season uh, not just your home games we've seen it in the NBA uh, at the moment we've got a number of guys who are who are sitting out matches because of city's regulations around vaccine uh, mandates and it's a shame that we're having this debate and as you said Nat players just can't do the right thing but it's going to be really interesting to see how it, it pans out moving forward. Yeah, they've got a lot to think about. And, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a no-brainer for me. But, obviously, again, as you said, Nat, it's a choice. And, you know, a choice is not uh, anyone having a go at you for anything. You, you you make a choice, that's fine. But at the same time, to both of your points, you know, yeah, when you make that choice, you need to live, you need to live and die by the consequences that come with it, whatever those may be. And, I guess some players, whether rightfully or wrongly, probably don't see that, but it is what it is, and we'll just see how the NRL approaches all of this. But on a final note, we got there is a good news story of the week. You know that we don't see it very often. Again, a player that you're very familiar with, Nat. Uh, that being Tamari Martin. Obviously, you know many people would probably know that a few or a couple of years ago. During his time at the Cowboys, he suffered a brain bleed and so was obviously forced to, you know, retire from the game, put his health and his life first and, you know, all of, as, as, as he should have done and to get better. And now it looks like he's obviously on, I presume, you know, medical advice has said that he's, he can return uh, to full time professional rugby league. And it looks like the Brisbane Broncos are going to be signing him up uh, on a development contract which I guess it's it's certainly been some road for Tamari Martin and he's a he's, he's a gifted player so hopefully it pans out and and we see him back back in full swing yeah I'm really happy with this news because he was so talented when when he was at Penrith he kind of burst onto that scene onto the scene with a field goal to win the game in his debut and he was really solid when he was playing with us and then he went up to the Cowboys and played that grand final with them and I think for someone who was so young um, what he went through with all of that, you know, brain bleed, you know, being stuck in a room for, for days on end, you know, weeks on end because you couldn't leave due to your headaches and due to the danger, that's a terrible thing for anyone to have to go through. And then for him to lose his livelihood as well at such a young age, um, it's just something you really don't like seeing. So the fact that he may have come in a full circle to the point where the doctors can let him play now um, and as long as that's safe for him, I'm really, really happy to see this and I hope he's really successful at Brisbane. Um, because I think he'd be a really handy pickup. You know, there's not an abundance of halves at the moment on the market or in the NRL. There's not really an abundance of excellent halves. So if he can, you know, get back into the swing of things and find some form again, I hope that he'll, you know, his deal will extend beyond a train and trial, whether it be the Broncos or somewhere else. And I just really like to see this is a second chance that we all like to see. Yeah, certainly. I'm pretty familiar with Tamari as well after he sort of started off his NRL career at the Tigers and uh, he was a terrific young player. Unfortunately, yeah, had that horrific injury. Terrific to see him get it back in the in the game. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what Brisbane are going to do with him with another half going through there. Semi half. Yeah, they've got Billy Walters, Adam Reynolds. We're talking about Katoni Staggs potentially moving into the halves. Uh, Tyson Gamble's there. Corey Pakes. Uh, there's a number of other guys on on train trial contracts. So uh, they've got they're flushed with halves talent, Brisbane. But, yeah, fingers crossed he can get back into the game, whether it's at Brisbane or elsewhere. There's a number of clubs who could use a quality half. And, uh, yeah, fingers crossed he can he can uh, reinvigorate his career. 
it's always, it's always always good to see a, a good news story in rugby league, seeing as we see so few of them. The media love to talk about anything but. So, you know, obviously, hopefully, if if it doesn't pan out at the Broncos, the other clubs, you know, keep on keep on or stay on the lookout for someone like Tamari Martin, and remains to be seen if if uh, he can reach those those lofty heights again that he did uh, both at Penrith and the Cowboys. Yeah, fingers crossed. All right, and with that ends the episode of Take the Two. Certainly, you know, there'll be plenty more rugby league off-field action. Unfortunately, whether it's good or bad remains to be seen, but there's plenty to dissect, plenty to listen listen to, plenty of ongoing contractual sagas that we have no doubt not heard the end of and probably won't for quite some time, but probably... In a few weeks' time, you might hear from us again to dissect all the action once more.